Okay, Paddy G, everybody, uh, good friend, family member, and soon he's going to be a daddy. So give it up for fucking Uncle Paddy, everybody. If that makes you, Mark, it is. I'm not an uncle. I'm a cousin. <laughs> How you doing? I'm Paddy and I'm an alcoholic. It's great to be here. Can you hear me, yeah? Obviously. I presume you can, yeah. Um... I don't really do much Zoom, so I don't really know where to start. I don't, definitely don't nothing about Tuss Neil. I didn't want to put up my hand when you said there is your first time. It's my first time being on this meeting, so I don't really know what way it works. But anyway, I guess I'll just share my experience, strength and hope. Um, drinking for me, from the get-go, I loved it. I loved the effects that alcohol had on me, do you know? Um, I absolutely love being able to walk into the nightclubs, discos, pubs, clubs, whatever it was, like, have three or four drinks and I didn't give a shit what anyone thought about me, do you know? I didn't feel inadequate, I didn't feel less than, I didn't feel nothing. To be honest, it made me feel superior and I loved that feeling of superiority, do you know? And it's one of my biggest defects today as well, that is, like, I, I absolutely love it, like, but, um, from the get-go, there was consequences for my drinking, you know? At the age of 15, I was arrested for stealing a fucking um, handbag in New Ross, of all places. And there was like a five around it. And the same night, I think I had 150 quid in my pocket. That's like 20 odd years ago, 25 years ago. And money, you know, with money that. And I only done it because I wanted to be the big fella in front of two or three people that was there, you know. And that's what it was. It wasn't about the money or it wasn't about the stealing. Was, I, I don't know, I felt less than I thought this would make me seem like a bigger man, you know. But, um, that was probably the biggest gift that was ever given to me because I got arrested and it frightened the living shit out of me. I was a scared baby, a 15-year-old locked up and I was brought home and I was put on this, I don't know, whatever it's called. It's man used to come to the house and check me out and whatever and make sure I was on the straight and narrow. But um, alcohol was always there, you know. I never really done anything really much, stronger drugs, but looking back, I can see the progression of where the illness or the isms of alcohol came into my life, you know. First time I got drunk was the day I buried my father out of mercy when I was 12. And I can look at it slowly creeping, creeping, you know. I said about getting caught robbing, I was caught drink driving, all the rest of it. But my mad died when I was 26. And whatever bit of, um, I don't know what the word I'm going to use, restraints I had or whatever bit of power I had over it, that seemed to be gone then because I didn't have to go home sober. I didn't have to bring home the car sober. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to do the things even though I was drink driving the whole time. But it seemed to have taken another step up, you know. Um, I'm still not great with handling grief, but I got two years after my mad died and up until I got sober, I thought she died in 2007. It was one year completely blocked out of my life. I don't know exactly what went on like, but, um, and I woke up after a couple of years, I woke up after two years anyway and I had a couple of court cases and a whole lot of shit to deal with and I went away to America, Australia for running away from, from myself I suppose but um, that was my life you know, whenever I got in trouble I ran away, I never stuck around to see what would happen I just paid the bills and fucked on, you know, I always believed that if I had enough money and if I paid my way that I wasn't affecting nobody and you know, why should anyone care you know. And I honestly believe that if everyone left me alone, I'd be all right. I was only drinking a few drinks, so what harm was I doing? And I was in Australia for a while, and drugs got involved. In the, I got involved in drugs because I was too sick. 
from sessions to, to go to work and I was too sick to eat and all the rest of it. So I got smoking a bit of dope and like a proper addict, you know, it was a little bit became a lot. And I came back from Australia and like Mark said, we met and we drank. We done all that crack together, you know. And, and it was great, like, you know. I loved the escape. As if it, I didn't really feel for a second that I was doing anything wrong, you know, even though the house was in bits and everyone was falling out of me and everyone was telling me I was an alcoholic and all this shit. And, Mark's mother used to always say to me, it'd be grand if you didn't smoke them fags. You know, them fags, they, she wasn't talking about tobacco, you know, and Mark is laughing at It's the truth, you know. But anyway, the last hooray that I went on, or the last session I went on, um, the person I'm working with, his um, his partner's daughter was murdered in Waterford, and I went to the funeral, and he asked me whether I'd drive to you know, the funeral car or whatever. It's no problem, I can. But I never actually went to the funeral. I drove the car, and I dropped them off outside, and I went on the beer. And that session took me nine weeks. And in the middle of that nine weeks, I somehow managed to lose my job. I actually quit my job. I didn't lose it. Um, and, um, and I was sitting at home after that nine weeks. I had plenty of money and all that crap. Like, I didn't... I didn't think it was possible to stop. And I wasn't physically capable of drinking anymore. And I was too paranoid to ring for any fucking drugs or anything that way. And, I thought, Jesus, what am I going to do now? And suicide wasn't the only option, you know. And I felt a release. I felt a, a strange sense of serenity in that fucking thought that when I was going to die and that was it, you know, the pain was going to be over. I just couldn't handle it anymore. And I had no fear, thank God, of it, you know. Um, and somehow in the middle of that, I've been trying to get sick and trying to fucking defecate and all the rest of it like you know the way when you be absolutely in bits like um, the thought came to me that a man told me in a pub one day that he drank like me and I got right offended when he told me he drank like me because it was a Wednesday and I was drinking JD and Coke and a pint on my own in the pub and I said what do you mean like and he said oh they drank like you and I stopped and told me he went to AA you know so that's how I came and I said fuck it I'll give it a go you know couldn't be any worse than where I was and in the meantime, I rang up looking for a, a gun off a friend of mine. The guards had taken it off him a week before that. So the shooting myself wasn't really an option, you know. And I was probably too afraid or whatever to try it any other way because I thought that was... Anyway, I don't know. I drifted back into sleep anyway and woke up the next day and and it was a miracle because I'd often had day five before when I swore to myself I was never drinking again because I was too sick and I wasn't physically capable. But this Saturday, things were different. I just didn't want any more of it. I couldn't fucking handle any more of it. I knew it was over, you know. And um, the Monday I ended up, thank God, I went to an AA, I went to a, an Al-Anon meeting and I ended up getting to an AA meeting through Al-Anon. I didn't know there was a difference. I didn't know anything about anything really. And, all I heard was keep coming back, you know, to the meetings. Well, that's all anyone said to me, you know, you'll be all right, keep coming back, you know, and you don't ever have to feel like this again. And the second meeting I went to, this woman took time after to have a chat with me, you know, and I was telling her all the things I'd done, the drink drive and all the bad shit I'd done, you know. And this one was about 70, she was a day like, and she looked at me and she smiled and she said, actually, we all done them things, by, you know, don't be panicking, you know, you'll be all right. You know, and I honestly felt that I was the worst in the world. I absolutely hated the person I'd become. I hated the things I had done because my word, I was brought up that my word was, was meant to mean something, you know. And it meant fuck all because I'd lie straight to your face. Then. I'd tell you whatever I thought you wanted to hear just to get rid of you, you know. 
And all these old feelings of shame and guilt and remorse and bitterness and all this was fucking welling up inside me. And I don't know what they said. I stayed coming to meetings, you know. And lots of them. I was doing 10 meetings a week, like. I was off my fucking head. Stone wall mental, like. You know, and... People were talking about God and people were talking about doing steps and people were talking about Big Book and I could see they had something like, you know. I always heard it said that the eyes are are the the vision of the soul, you know. And mine were black, they were dead. You could do that in front of my eyes and I wasn't blurred, you know. It was just completely fucked like. And a man pointed out to me the steps that were on the wall. He kind of told me, you know, that these are not here for decoration. This is a program of action and it's a program of recovery, you know. And I thought, sure, fuck it, I'll ask someone to be my sponsor. Because I could hear people talking that said that these things work for them. And that's the only way. I knew nothing else and I had the chance doing something because I was feeling horrible. And at this stage I hadn't had a drink or a drug for, I don't know, a month or six weeks. I was under the delusion that all I had to do was stop drinking and my life would be okay. Because I blamed drink for everything, do you know? I crashed the car, Asher, I was drunk. I fell out with somebody, Asher, I was drunk. Do you know, I used it as an excuse, like, you know? Because there and I look at Paddy. There and I take any responsibility for anything I'd ever done, like, do you know? And, um, so when I asked men to be my sponsor under a lot of pain and fucking feelings of what if he says no and all this bullshit going on in my head, you know. But of course he said yes, like, and he, you know, and he's a decent fellow, like, and he put me through the steps. And it's mad because Mark was telling me this is agnostic or whatever, atheist or whatever. He said it doesn't matter that I can speak about God or whatever. And for the first time when we were reading, when he was reading um, the doctor's opinion to me, I got a feeling that somehow this book knew my thinking, knew my thoughts, knew what I was. Do you know, when it speaks about that allergy, that mental obsession, a physical allergy to alcohol, so I thought that was normal. I'd always, always, always had that feeling once I had one, I couldn't stop. I knew I couldn't stop. I was quite okay with that. But every now and then I'd go down to the pub and I'd not bring the car and I'd only have two drinks so I thought this didn't really refer to me but that was the off chance that was the one and the different one do you know when it starts talking about the mental obsession thinking about drinking when I'm not drinking that was me since I was fucking 15 I always wanted to be at that stage where I didn't care what anyone else thought of me that feeling of freedom that feeling of invincibility I suppose is the truth do you know I'd always wanted that and I absolutely loved it do you know but here I was left on my own with no alcohol. What the fuck do I do then? Do you know, my crutch, my solution was gone. Do you know? And I um, actually feel a bit, a bit weird speaking of this if it's an agnostic meeting. But for me anyway, I can only speak my experience, strength and hope is I had to find something else. Do you know? Because I couldn't do it on my own. Do you know? For a while it was the meetings. I used meetings as a higher power, as a, a god of my choice. And um, after a while, that changed, you know. I was told, my sponsor told me, like, pray every morning. And I was like, what do you pray to? Or who do you pray to? And he was like, just pray. You know, this is a program of action. It's not about who or what, you know. And I was told to pick a god of my own understanding, a god of my own choice. 
a lot of love, a lot of respect. And for a while it was my man and dad who I hope are in heaven. I don't know where they are. And then that changed. My conception of God has changed a few times, you know what I mean? But um, as I got through the steps, you know, when I looked at Paddy in step four, when I could see that the only common denominator in all the shit that I've ever been through in my life was me. It wasn't because I was drunk or it wasn't because somebody else's fault or it wasn't because Mark was there that I drank that extra drink and I ended up in trouble or it wasn't because, because, because of something else. It was fucking me. And that was the reality I was left with when I was looking at a sheet of paper that I wrote, that my sponsor told me he wouldn't have nothing to do with me. I write it, my story, my life. The shit, all the resentments, all the fears, all the sexual conduct, all the people that I had harmed, because all wrote there in front of me and I wrote it all. And it wasn't any but new to me, you see. This was all stuff I'd done. So when it was all wrote down in front of me there, I couldn't blame anyone else and I couldn't do anything else and I could see... Do you know, I remember I was told before I had done this that I wasn't morally responsible for acting I done when I was drinking and using because I didn't understand, you know. And when I went along and I didn't stay five with that man and he was after telling me a lot of the shit that he done as well and it made it easy, you know, or it made it easier, I suppose, anyway, but I got a lot of freedom from it. For the first time in my life, I was honest. I was honest about who Paddy was and all the stuff I had done, you know. And that man told me after that, he said, remember he said, I told you you were morally not responsible, he said. And now you are, he said, because you know what will happen if you drink or use again. Like, this is it, like, you know, this is your chance. Like, you know? And he said to me, he also said to me, this doesn't guarantee you'll stay sober. Like, you know? And going through the rest of the steps, I could see, you know, I spoke about my defects. I have loads of defects. Like, you know, I try my best not to be, for the want of a better word, an arsehole. You know? Um, my girlfriend's in the she's pregnant, like, and she just pined out me defects to me on a regular basis, like, and I kind of tend to take a whole lot of no notes. Do you know what I mean? I do, like, there's no point in length. I tend genuinely take a, a whole lot of no notes at the best of times, you know. But um, when something is said to me and she's being genuine, I'll, I'll try and take it on board, you know. Um, making amends was very hard for me because I don't like admitting I'm wrong. Do you know? a lot of prayer for me to be able to, especially a few of them, a few close family ones like that were, you know, especially ones where I was robbing and stuff. And I'm not going to say too much because Mark is like, I'm not all the darkest secrets, but um, the freedom that was in that, to be able to go, like, you know, I'd go over to Australia to my sister, I'd go to ID, my, you know, there's a few of them around, like, and the freedom that was in it for me was amazing. You know, I can walk down through Mull of and I don't have to have my head looking down on the ground because I owe anyone anything. You know? Or I don't need to feel fear of anyone because I don't feel at the moment, I, I don't genuinely go to wrong people. You know? So that changed, and that was a massive change for me. You know? Um, what else am I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, step 10 and 11, you know? Um, like I said, I don't like admitting when I'm wrong. You know, but pain here or pain here makes me do it. And it's that simple, you know. If it's something small, I will just say it straight off. Sometimes it takes a bit of pain for me to admit that I'm wrong. It definitely takes a bit of pain for me to apologize. I don't like it. I have to be honest, I don't like it. I know I have to do it, but I don't like doing it, you know. And it's not so much admitting I'm wrong, it's admitting that they're right. <laughs> it likes me. 
Um, and step twelve, yeah, working with others. It says it in a lot of places in the big book that um, you know, the greatest defense against that first drink is intensive work with another addict or alcoholic. You know, and I've been blessed since I came around, especially in Waterford. There's there's, there's like a secondary treatment center for drug and alcohol addiction. And there's always numerous people going through with this looking for a bit of help, you know. The same help as that man gave me, you know. And that can be as simple as just fucking maybe taking someone to a meeting. Or, you know, maybe just saying to someone, like Seamus always says it to me, maybe just saying to someone in the meeting, you know, tap on the leg, it'll be all right, you know. Things will get better. And that has been the thing for me, you know. People have helped me so much in recovery. All my friends now today are in recovery. With the exception of family, all outside that is all in recovery, you know. Life today is good, you know. I was building a new house in Republic. It's not about the material things, but it is like you know what I mean. There's certain things that we need to have, like to fucking survive. Well, I believe anyway. Do you know what I mean? Need a roof over my head. You know what I mean? Things like that. Like I have them things. I'm not sitting in a fucking line, waking up in a pissy bed, like not knowing what went on the last week or month or whatever it was, like just because Paddy zonked over and turned off the phone. You know. Um, the car does a bit of tax and insurance on it. The tires on it'll pass the guards if I see them. I won't have to be afraid. I don't get that shiver down my back if the guards come up behind me going up the road. But nine times out of ten, I was drunk or stoned or both, or there was no something missing on it. You know, there was always something not right. You know, so the fears today, all the major things that were really wrong have definitely dissipated, and that's all thanks to recovery. It's all thanks to not taking a drink a day at a time, you know. And, for that, I need God. I need a power greater than myself. And I'm grateful to that God today for being, for helping me. Do you know? Every morning I get up, I say a few prayers. Ask God for a bit of help. Try and go through the day. Say the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer. And sometimes if I have time in the mornings, I'll read upon awakening, and, which is step 11 in the big book. You know, and I try, to get, I try to live by that and I try to use it as a guide for me for living. You know, because I didn't know how to live when I was when I was out there. It was it was all the hustle and the strike and the the quick book, you know, and there was no bit of honesty or no bit of truth in it. You know, and that's what I try to live by today, you know. I get three or four meetings a week. I've always had a service position in some meeting somewhere. You know, um a home group, you know. There was a man from America who actually died of COVID. I met him at the first first diary pack convention I went to, and he told me that there was three things I should always have in recovery. One was to know my sobriety date. My sobriety date is the 27th of June, 2017. Name of my sponsor and um, the name of my home group or the name of that group that you're doing service at. And he told me if I had them three things, I had a chance, you know. And I, that's, that's stuck in my mind, you know. Um, my sponsor today, which has more as friends than, than anything else, because like, we're good friends, you know what I mean? I've been up in his house loads of times. He's been down here and... We don't, we normally just ring for a chat, you know. Well, how are you getting on? How's life? Bloody blah. Is the woman driving you crazy? That's normally the topic of conversation, or his woman is driving him crazy. And they're the topics of conversation we have, you know, on 90, 99% of the time. And it's usually a bit of a laugh and a bit of, a bit of fun, you know. Because I try to make life today, I try to be happy in life today. But I get long enough fucking miserable, you know. Listen, I don't know how long I'm after going on for Mark, but thanks very much for asking me on. I wish everyone well.